Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Nice to have you along. Now, we're diving into a complex topic today, one which affects consultants everywhere. It's the issue of tax and insurance for independent consultants. Now, I must say, today's episode will focus on the UK and certain legislation there, but nonetheless, there are some universal themes in this discussion that will apply to HR consultants everywhere. In particular, what kinds of insurance do you need? And also that old chestnut of, are you a contractor or an employee when performing consulting work? Now, to help us get to the bottom of these issues, I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Maley, the CEO of Qdos Contractor, a leading provider of tax and insurance services for UK contractors, micro-businesses, and the self-employed. Hi, Seb. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Ben. No problem. Good to talk to you. Whereabouts are you based? Uh, we are based in Leicestershire, um, right so slap bang in the middle of the UK. Um, Love. So quite central, but obviously down in London quite a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, now, Seb, before we dive into the details of this complex area, I have to ask, look, there, there are TV shows about medical emergencies, there are courtroom dramas, and even TV shows set in mythical Australian seaside towns, but there are never any shows about insurance. Why is that? Um, <laughs> good question. I think, uh, it, yeah, I, I guess inherently people would see insurance as, uh, as, as being quite a drab and, uh, and boring subject, um, so which is probably one of the reasons why. I mean, I think I'd quite enjoy uh, a TV show about <laughs> insurance, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I'd watch it, yeah. Fair enough. All right. So, so can you tell us a little bit about Kudos and what you folks do? Yeah, so Qdos, uh, we um, were originally founded back in the late 1980s as a, as a tax consultancy. So the, the, the business was originally founded by ex-revenue um, inspectors. Um, so <clears throat> tax consultancy has really been kind of the backbone of what we've done um, with a particular focus on small businesses and uh, and often kind of self-employed um, in individuals um, working through limited companies. Um, and uh, we we built up a particular specialism in uh, in, in status in particular. So with the uh, the I thirty five legislation, which we'll go on to, I'm, I'm sure in a bit more detail later. Um, but uh, over the years, we've also um, kind of expanded to to, to also provide um, business insurances and so on to uh, to small businesses as well, and, and, and contractors and in, in independent consultants. So it's really now a, a kind of mixture of um, of, of insurance, um, but also with that um, that niche specialism in in tax consultancy around status. Excellent. Yeah. So you did mention IR thirty five. Can you give us an overview of what is IR thirty five? Yeah, so um, IR35 is a piece of tax legislation. So it was originally brought in back in uh, April 2000. So it's been around for for just over 21 years now. Um, And um, the legislation was uh, was originally brought in uh, because the government felt that there was a big problem with um, people who were um, using their own limited companies uh, to to provide services to clients, um, where when in actual fact they should just be employees of of the client that they are working for. Um, And and back then there was a a fairly significant tax saving for the individual. So by um, uh, you know by by working in that manner, they were essentially paying a lot less tax than um, you know. employed counterpart would uh, would, would pay 
Um, and uh, the government felt that that was a massive problem. There was a lot of kind of uh, anecdotal stories of um, kind of supermarket shelf staffers and people like that who were using limited companies to, to, to provide their services. And, uh, and ultimately, um, you know, they felt it was such a, a major issue that they decided to, to, to legislate against it. Um, and essentially that just uh, puts a responsibility on uh, the contractor to uh, to kind of take some due diligence around what their tax status was um, but then also face the risk of uh, a potential investigation and uh, and liabilities as a result of getting that wrong got it and now there are there's a, a phrase or some phrases about being inside or outside of ir35 what does that mean yeah, um, which often causes quite a lot of confusion. But essentially, if you are inside IR35, that means that you are a disguised employee as uh, as HMRC term it, which means that uh, you know you should be paying the same amount of tax as uh, as an employee. Whereas if you are operating outside IR35, that means you are genuinely self-employed and uh, and obviously uh, you know pay, pay the relevant. Um, tax accordingly. So, um, it, it, yeah, inside uh, from a uh, from a, a consultant's point of view, inside is where you don't want to be, uh, and outside means that you are kind of genuinely self-employed. Got it. Do you know I I paid my way through uh, university doing part-time work on a government employment helpline once upon a time, and I used to hate getting the calls coming in about how do I pay someone when they're a mm. contractor when when they're a, an employee. Yeah because I could never quite give them a clear answer. There were lots of great things. So there was a term such as control, if I recall, and how you pay it. What are some of the, the different elements that go into determining if someone's- Yeah, I mean, this, this is one of the problems with I-35 is that, you know, obviously we have had some legislative changes over the last few years, which again, I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit more detail, but, but ultimately the, the manner in which you decide whether somebody is genuinely self-employed or not is based on kind of a very archaic case law that goes back 50, 60 years. And I think there's a very strong argument to say, well, you know, these tests really aren't fit for purpose when you look at the modern way of working. But um, and a lot of them, you know, some of them are common sense. You know, if you look and feel like an employee, you should be, you know, you should pay the same amount of tax as, as, as one. But actually, some of them are not common sense at all and, and, and very difficult to get your head around. And HMRC themselves often seem not to understand them. So, um, yeah, there, there are various areas. I mean, you know, fundamentally, it, it really is about building a picture and, and looking to ascertain whether, you know, a, a worker looks like they are a, a, an employee or not in the round. But there are some key factors that you look at. One of them is, as you mentioned, control. So, you know, as an independent consultant, um, you know, you're being brought in because you've got uh, expertise and, and therefore, you know, your customer shouldn't be able to control how, when, where you carry out those services. The how probably being the most important in terms of that sort of method of work. Um, uh, but, but, and then there are also various other ones as things like personal service. So, you know, you should be able to send a replacement if you can't provide the services yourself, um, which is uh, often called a right of substitution. Um, and there shouldn't be an on, uh, any kind of obligation to provide or offer ongoing services. Uh, and there are various other kind of sub-factors of, uh, as well that you look at, but uh, as uh, is said many, many times in kind of tribunal cases, it isn't a checkbox exercise. It really is about um, you know, having a look at the sort of sum total of evidence and, uh, and kind of building up a, a, an objective picture of whether that person looks like they're an employee or not. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. And what changed in April 2021 regarding IR30? Yeah, so when legislation was originally brought in, um, you know, 21 years ago, the, 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 um, the intention actually was to make the businesses who engage um, consultants responsible for determining status, but there was quite a lot of pushback then by um, 
uh, by trade associations and so on. So, so ultimately, the um, you know the, the risk and responsibility uh, ended up resting with the contractor, uh, and that's how it was for for you know uh, for, for twenty years. Um, but uh, HMRC and the government felt that um, it was actually quite di difficult to police because to to uh, to, to investigate uh, an individual. Um, consultants would take upwards of 18 months to two years and uh, and ultimately the tax yield that they were getting back was um, you know wasn't a great deal either so uh, and also uh, HMRC haven't been particularly great at winning cases over the years which is another key point you know there's been a lot of cases they were very active in in the early years and uh, their success rate has been um, has, has left wanting from from their point of view um, so they've been looking to make adjustments and changes to the legislation to make it easier for the, you know, to make their job easier for, for a number of years now. And in 2017, we had a fairly significant change in the public sector, um, which um, shifted responsibility for determining status and the risks associated with that from the worker to the party that engaged the worker. So in that case, the public sector organisation that was engaging the services of the contractor or consultant. Uh, and so they, they, those came in in April 2017, um, and when when that happened, it was only really a matter of time before uh, there was a subsequent change in the private sector, which is obviously uh, far more extensive than the public sector. And, uh, and and ultimately, that's what happened this April. So on the sixth April this year, responsibility for deciding whether you know you were going to be taxed as an employee or or, or a, a self-employed um, consultant. That decision shifted from the individual who was providing the services to uh, to, to the organisation that was engaging them, and obviously the organisation then takes the risk um, of uh, you know HMRC investigation and so on uh, in relation to status. Sure. Okay. So the contractor needs to be very organised and have processes in place, and to be able to demonstrate to the hiring firm or the, the contracting company that they are indeed an independent consultant. Yes, I mean that's uh, that's certainly what we suggest. I mean, I guess uh, what we've seen um, because it is a, f a fairly significant shift, and, and you know, um, private sector companies have never really had to worry about this type of thing before. And um, as it is quite a complex area, we've seen a number of different kind of approaches to it, um, from the kind of very risk averse, where some uh, organisations are, are essentially banning the use of, 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 of contractors altogether and saying, you know, if you want to work for us, you have to be taxed as a, a you know PAYE. Um, you know, through to the sort of more pragmatic, you know, people who understand that, you know, that they, they, they very much benefit from the use of flexible workers and they want to maintain that and they've made sort of positive changes to, to, to make sure that they can continue to engage contractors going forward. So the, the kind of, um, in, in the run up to the 6th of April, there was a huge kind of disparity in, in, in the reaction of, uh, of, of private sector firms and often that decision was entirely taken out of the hands of the individual uh, consultant, you know, and no, no, no matter what evidence they presented, it was going to be a, a, a very difficult task to convince their their, their um, customers to to do things properly, um, as, as, as we would uh, as we would say. Um, but you know, over over the course of time, you know, things will settle down, and I think uh, a lot of organisations will take a, a more reasonable um, a, a approach to the changes. And, and uh, you know, we, we found that in many cases, that the, the consultant themselves has um, you know has, has really found it useful to be able to present evidence <clears throat> to their customer to, to point to why they should be uh, treated and taxed like a, a genuine independent supplier. Oh, very good. Now, you guys have a very nice IR35 checklist for agencies and hiring managers on the website. So can you tell us what's in it and why did you 
Yeah, I think we really want it because, the, the, as we've said, the legislation is complex uh, and, um, you know, it's not easy to, 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 to get a grasp on. And also there is a huge amount of misinformation about it. You know, there's a lot of, yeah. um, you know, everyone's got some sort of opinion on IR35 and kind of status and it's very easy to get lost in that. So what we wanted to to, to provide to, uh, to to organisations was something that they could very, you know, uh, uh, something that was easy to digest and, and gave straightforward and, and kind of um, plain language pointers to, uh, to to you know to what people should be doing, and I think um, you know quite often these organisations have had a you know the, the kind of knee jerk and risk averse reactions have stemmed from a panic you know when they they can't get a handle on who is a contractor you know uh, what the extent of, uh, of the task at hand is, and I think you know by by breaking it down into um, you know in, into into chunks and uh, and easy steps, it's uh, it's a lot easier for, for for people to 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 put a plan in place. So um, you know and it's it's really important because um, the the way in which the legislation is written means that it's not only the um, the, the the, the client themselves, the engagement themselves that has a potential risk, but it's, it's other parties in the supply chain as well. So if there is an agency, as there often is, uh, then, then the agency potentially faces a financial liability as well, even though it's not necessarily their, their decision in the first place. So what we you know, what we're really trying to drive is for, for, for part, all parties in the supply chain, including the consultant, to kind of work together um, to, to to make sure that it's um, you know it's a rounded decision and uh, and one that's backed by uh, an extensive audit trail as well. Absolutely, yeah. So if we turn to the insurance side of things, then um, because consultants around the world they all face the same issue when they're either forming or running their business of what sorts of insurance should we have? So there are professional indemnity public liability, employer liability, tax liability options. Can you give us an overview of the main insurance types? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, you know, if you're operating as, a, as, as an independent consultant, then, um, you, you know, it, it, uh, it, it goes without saying that, you know, that there should be some sort of protection in place. And that's protection both for you, but also importantly protection for customers you're working for as well. Um, so professional indemnity is is often the, 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 you know, the first port of call. So professional indemnity covers negligence so if, uh, if a consultant was to provide um, negligent advice or, or you know provide some form of advice that, that subsequently caused a financial loss to, uh, to to the customer they were working for then you know that that type of thing is covered by a, a professional indemnity or, or pi policy so you know if you are uh, if you're looking at kind of hr professionals um that that sort of policy would be quite important because you know generally you will be providing advice in, in in the context of the services that you're delivering um, so that's that's probably the first the first uh, you know the first policy to look at and uh, you know they're, they're, they're fairly straightforward to to, to, to take out um, obviously the, the sort of insurance market is fairly competitive so generally um, you know in, individual um, consultants who are working through their own company should be able to get a policy for um, you know for, for, for a reasonable premium. Um, and then public liability as well. That covers um, harm caused to uh, to members of the public um, in, in the course of providing services. Obviously, you know that kind of policy is, is very prevalent where there's kind of manual work involved. Um, but but equally, it, you know, it, you know they are often required contractually. Um, yeah. So for, for for customers to protect themselves and for agencies to protect themselves, they often mandate that um, no matter what type of services you're providing, you also do hold public liability as well. So and again. Again, 
very reasonable premium and so it's, it's quite easy to get hold of and and you know it all ties back really to i35 because it also demonstrates that you are in business on your own account if you're paying yep. for an insurance policy then you know an employee wouldn't do that so it, uh, it really helps to demonstrate that you are um, in business on your own account and, and genuinely operating as a as, as, as a as, as a real business um and then employer's liability, I mean, that's uh, often less um, of, a, of a genuine requirement for um, individual consultants because it covers um, harm caused to employees. Uh, and often, you know, there will be one person working in the business. But, uh, but again, in, in many cases, it is a contractual requirement just because um, agencies and clients like to have that sort of robust protection um, feeding, uh, feeding down the contractual chain. Sorry, what, what sort of harm? The- um, so if, if you did have an employee and the employee was was hurt in the course of working for you, um, then it's likely that they would um, you know that they would bring some sort of claim against their employer, and an employer's liability policy would cover kind of the legal costs and potential liabilities as a result of that. Um, okay. So yeah, if you if you're in a business on your own, it's unlikely that you know and you don't have any employees, then uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's unlikely ever to be utilised. But in many cases, it is a contractual requirement, which is why uh, which is why we see um, sort of many consultants kind of buying the full suite of business insurances in that in that way. Absolutely, uh, and then I believe you have tax liability insurance as well. Yeah, so uh, as we've said over the course of the last kind of 20 years or so, um, contractors and consultants have had this sort of sort of Damocles hanging over them around the, the potential tax risks. Um, and uh, because you are running a business, um, obviously that business could be subject to an HMRC investigation or inquiry at any stage. Um, and they're not straightforward processes to go through, whether it's I-35 or some other matter, um, you know, uh, uh, representing yourself um, when there's any kind of HMRC probe into your business is, uh, you know, is, is, is often something that we wouldn't necessarily recommend because HMRC have got, got quite a long history of answering, of asking leading questions and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, causing quite a lot of um, stress and anxiety for people who are faced with, uh, with any kind of compliance activity. So, you know, tax related policies will really provide that peace of mind that, you, you know, as soon as you get any kind of letter from HMRC that a professional will deal with it on your behalf. So it really means that um, it's covering the costs of um, you know, somebody who knows how to deal with HMRC, somebody who um, is, is aware of the kind of uh, the, the manner in which they carry out investigations to, uh, to, to, to essentially correspond with them on your behalf. Uh, and uh, there are also policies which uh, you know, we, we, we offer uh, and, and other firms offer that cover the potential liabilities from an I-35 point of view um, if uh, if HMRC ever decided that you were actually a disguised employee and uh, an owed sort of retrospective tax, so those policies, those types of policies, aren't often contractually required. But it is again something that just gives um, consultants and contractors that that sort of peace of mind that they're not going to be faced with any unexpected costs um, from a from a, a tax point of view um, in in the course of providing their services. Absolutely. So for listeners, yeah, we've gone through professional indemnity, public liability, employer liability, tax liability, but certainly the uh, professional indemnity and the public liability components. I know when you're putting in a tender for a large project, whether that's a government or a large company, you'll often have a requirement to do that. So if you think, oh, how do I go about it? Uh, yeah, look up QDOS, the website. They've got an excellent calculator there or any provider um, of your choice, but you'll be surprised. It's actually quite low cost. So I think 
for peace of mind and also for being able to bid for larger pieces of pro, uh, project work, things like that. It, to me, it makes sense, but it's a, it's an individual decision, of course. Um, so finally then, Seb, do you have any general insurance and or business management advice for independent consultants in the broad HR industry? I think um, my primary um, piece of advice would really be to see yourself as a business. And, um, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you are an independent um, consultant, often that might have kind of happened by accident. Um, you know, you've ended up kind of providing, uh, providing advice as, uh, as an independent rather than, uh, rather than being an employee. But I think if that does happen, then it's really important to, uh, to, to really get behind that and kind of um, see what you do as, you know, as a, a kind of see that you have established a business and, and kind of maintain that. And it's not just, um, you know, it's, 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 it shouldn't be contrived, but uh, really what you want to have is uh, you want to give people the perception that you are genuinely a business in your own right. Um, and I think that, you know, not, not only will help sort of commercially when it comes to presenting yourself to potential customers, but also from a tax point of view, um, if you look and feel like a business and you kind of have, um, you know, uh, things like um, website, you know, st company stationery, that sort of thing, it really does help to uh, to, to really back up the fact um, that, that you are in business on your own account. So that would, that would be my, my primary piece of advice. I think for people who are kind of caught up in um, all of the, the panic around um, the I-35 changes, which will be many in, in, in the UK at the moment, I think uh, I'd probably offer some reassurance that um, you know certainly things will settle down. I think uh, we, we can see certainly over the course of the last couple of weeks that there are more and more businesses who are getting to, to groups with their, their obligations and more and more opportunities for contractors to, to have these outside I-35 contracts where they are still uh, operating as a genuine business. So it may not seem it, but I think um, that there certainly is still a market for people out there in the UK who, um, who want to continue operating as, a, as, a, as an independent business. Excellent. Well, that's good to hear. Certainly comforting for, for listeners, that's for sure. Uh, and for listeners, I do recommend going and checking out the QDOS website because I've got some calculators, plenty of resources and other options there. So well worth having a look. On that point, Seb, if people want to learn more about you and the business, what should Yeah, I think um, uh, the website's always a good place to start. So uh, please uh, feel free. Um, we've got um, loads of kind of information, as we said, there's a lot of misinformation about I-35 and, and tax in general. So we've really put a huge amount of effort into trying to cut through that and, uh, and provide um, plain English advice uh, and, uh, and, and tools and so on that, uh, that consultants can use. But um, we've got a large team here who uh, are, are always uh, ready and waiting to kind of uh, assist people over the phone or via the online chat. So um, yeah, if there's any questions, no matter how silly they seem, because often they're not, um, just feel free to drop us a line. Excellent. I like it. So if you're listening to this on the go, check the show notes. We'll have the links uh, to kudoscontractor.com. Uh, so you'll be able to find that as you go. But Seb, thank you very much for sharing your in insights and advice today. And yeah, thank you for all your time. No problem, Ben. Great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.